0: From the palmetto swamps, to the piney woods, to the oak flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Hunter Podcast.
1: Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast, we're on the phone with Jade Lambert out of Bordelonville, Louisiana, and we're talking about effective internet scouting tactics for deer hunting new property and making sure you're setting yourself up for success. Now, there's a lot of negative connotation when it comes to the word internet scouting. I'm not talking about stealing people's spots or asking people for their the, you know, coordinates or anything like that. I'm strictly talking about you're planning on going either in-state or out-of-state to a brand new piece of property, how are you going to prepare for it? And that's what we're going to cover today. Some things to look for on maps, some things to look for on on waterways and boundaries and pinch points and funnels and things like that. So kind of setting yourself up for success on going into a new piece of property. Now, before we get started, I want to give a big thanks to our two sponsors of the podcast, Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana. They're the only taxidermist that's made it easier for you to transport your deer back into the state by having a separate drop-off point in Vider Texas. So if you're coming back eastbound on I-10 and you don't want to cape out your deer for CWD regulations, drop it off at Ty's Taxidermy and Steve Germans will take it over from there. And also Cousin's Smokehouse Excellent pork jerky. Highly suggest you pick up a bag or two for your hunting bag this season. They've got two flavors, traditional and cane fire. This definitely needs to be in your bag for this hunting season. I think you're going to love their products a lot if you haven't tried them yet. So y'all be sure to check them out online, and let's get on to this week's episode. Are you still at the camp, or are you home now?
0: No, I'm, I'm actually home. Now, where do you live? Uh, in Borloville, going towards Alexandria, but I guess between New Roads and yeah, Alexandria. You've got a three
1: three one eight number that's right that's right yeah you're a little further mm-hmm. north okay mm-hmm. so, gotcha well um tell, tell me the the story on that buck real quick did you, did you know he was there or it was a surprise
0: no i actually um i have to i still haven't checked my uh my trail cam pics of late but um i had a few different uh eight points one camera i had set up i guess i put it out around thanksgiving and stuff in the wma uh, after thanksgiving weekend mm-hmm. but um no, I mean, actually, I, I wasn't uh, hunting him. I didn't know he was there as far as, for you know, just going after him. But uh, early on this morning, uh, I seen a couple of those early come through. Looked like they were kind of just feeding, uh, picking up some acorns here and there and stuff. And some, actually, some honey locusts, like the little bean pods and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, my stand was actually close to a couple of those trees that they, they seemed to be eating on. It seemed like they hit that pretty, uh, around December, kind of, uh, you know pretty good you know with with the acorns once they kind of start rotting and everything yeah um but no they, they kind of fed through and everything and uh i had uh there was a good bit of water that uh that rose in the last couple of days of course because we we got around five and a half inches around uh you know uh, around this area and uh we hunt you know it's kind of some flooded bottoms and stuff in the area where i was hunting that and i had to walk through a lot of flat water probably probably traded about 30 minutes through some flat water uh, between knee and waist deep and stuff and finally got got to then you know, I started hitting a couple of ridges and uh so i guess i guess it was around i think around 7 30 and uh i was kind of i was facing uh, let's see i was facing east and i had a north wind that was kind of uh blowing across the ridge basically but uh where I thought the deer were going to be coming from the way they travel in that area. It seemed like they, they were, they would come from the East, which I faced in front of me. Yeah. And, um, it came out to my, to my left and actually I'm left-handed. So, That's but, a hard uh, shot. but I practiced both ways ever since I was probably 13. <laughs> so I can shoot pretty good, right. You know, too, and everything, but, uh, it came out, it came from in front of me and sort of, you know, uh, Sliding to my left, and uh, probably about 50 yards past me to my left was some, a, a good bit of flat water, and um, it came basically between me and the. Uh, I was on the ridge and the flat, and uh, it came between me and and the flat water basically. Gotcha. And um, I guess when it got uh, when I first seen it, it was probably about 70 yards, kind of angling towards me and uh when it made its way probably about 50 yards kind of got an open shot and uh it wasn't at a trot but it wasn't at a slow walk either it was it, what i call cruising yeah. yeah it seemed it seemed like the bucks around here right now i've heard a few instances that they chasing does and stuff but uh from what i've seen so far it's, you know being in the field right now um it seems like they're about to turn on probably in about the next 10 days or so yeah and um that's basically what he was doing i think he was probably out sent checking probably making a few sprays this morning after those rains and stuff and uh he was cruising through kind of had a fast walk and stuff and um when he gets i guess about 50 yards to my left i i put it right behind the shoulder and uh fired off a shot and actually that's probably one of the first uh you know the first one of the first deer that kind of just dropped right there actually without you Know spine shot and stuff, you yeah, know, yeah, and stuff. Um, but uh, so he, he, you know, he fell within sight and didn't go too far. He was probably about halfway underwater, took some good pictures with that and stuff.
1: Now, um, now, you said, you said, uh, his muzzle loader were you hunting with an actual muzzle loader or with a primitive weapon?
0: No, actually, I put down, I say, I say, muzzle loader, yeah, they it's, it's actually 4570. Uh, I hunted with muzzle loader probably up until about two years ago. And to be honest with you, I just got tired of cleaning it. <laughs> it's a yeah. chore, man, uh, clean the, You know, I, I do a lot of bow hunting. Usually I, I try to bow hunt till you know, around Christmas and stuff. And, you know, I, um, I put it down probably, I think it was last Monday. I put it down and, uh, you know, I was able to harvest some in Illinois this year. But uh, it just seemed like uh, I couldn't get that good buck to come in range this year. I seen some good ones on sand. But, uh, it seemed like everything wanted to stay about 60, 70, 80 yards from me this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, um, I said, well, I said, uh, I guess it's time we'll try to get something with it. And, uh, and it happened today, and, you know, and, and, and it's, it's something when you finally actually put it down and, uh, and, and cause I, I probably could have got him within bow range you mm-hmm. know, the way he was angling and stuff, you know, but. Uh that's how it goes, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you
1: had your bow he wouldn't have come in that close. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably had another sad story of him uh walking yeah. sixty yards <laughs> or something from yeah. me. Yeah.
1: Well, but uh well, I I was um I spent most of the day today cleaning uh cleaning a doe that I'd mm. killed uh, a little over a week ago and um you know, we keep it iced in the cooler with the drain plug open and uh, just kind of let it, let it clean out. And, <clears throat> and so I, I don't know, I started cleaning around, I started cleaning around nine o'clock this morning, nine thirty And then, uh, I finished up around one thirty and And when I say cleaning, I mean, um, like I, I, I cleaned the deer like a week and a half ago. And quartered it and put it in a cooler and now I was just breaking it down into all the cuts and then the ground meat and the back strap and all that stuff. So um my wife handles all the packaging of everything. Um and she's she's done she's done that her whole life. Um uh, with with her dad and her family growing up, and so she likes doing that when I kill a deer. And um she said something, she was like, you know, I feel like uh I feel like this went really fast today. Why did this go so much faster? And I said I said, honestly, it's because normally when I take the time to to uh, process a deer, mm-hmm. I, I'm doing more than one at a time. And, okay. you know, yeah. I, I just, it's just, that's just how it's always worked out. I've always, um, I've always just had for some reason two deer in an ice chest within a short period of time and I clean them both at the same time. Um, it's not very often I'm, I'm doing one, but uh, that's what I told her. I said, I said, you know, I don't even know why I bow hunt in November. I've only killed one deer in Louisiana in November ever. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why I do it. I don't, I don't know why I, I don't just sit that one out, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And it's true. I mean, I haven't had, uh, I can't say I've had a whole lot of success as forest in November either. Uh, I've killed a couple of decent bucks in uh, in October and, uh, also killed, you know, some, uh, some decent bucks you know around december january with the bow and stuff you know but i'm kind of with you i I don't know what it is about november but uh
1: (laughs) i think i think it's just you know bow season's been going on for a month uh they get to they get higher pressure and they start to go nocturnal because they realize it's hunting season's on um Mm -hmm. you know rifle season's kicked in so you have a lot more pressure in the woods you have a lot more people stirring up stirring up the place um and uh i think I just I think unless you're hunting heavily over a, like a supplied food source, November is one of the hardest months to hunt because mm-hmm. um, you know the bucks aren't in bachelor groups anymore, um, the does are weary of any creak and sound and movement in the woods because uh, like I said everybody's kind of been coming in rifle hunters, primitive weapon hunters, bow hunters have been in the woods, um, and then it almost takes until December for that to normalize a little bit um and then you've got you know pre-rut and rut kicking in at most of the state at that point in time yeah.
0: you know kind of like I said, yeah i think it's more you know kind of a combination of stuff too you know because a lot of times in november yeah sometimes we get some cold fronts but a lot of time in louisiana you know it's uh it's still pretty mild you know oh, yeah. and, uh, so uh you know and at that point it kind of you know I, not say transitioning off the food but you know you know in october i find it's just it's easier to pattern them you know on the, on the uh, food sources for some reason mm-hmm. uh you know all those acorns are just falling if you can find the right tree especially like with persimmons and stuff like that you have a, a number of things you know and and there is an abundance of acorns uh, in november but uh that also i think makes it uh, a good bit tougher too, you know, because, it yeah. Hey, you, you got, you know, instead of just a few trees dropping, now you got the whole bunch of them dropping, you know, and uh, where are we going to, you know, where do we set up today? You know, kind of basically. So,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and well, things are done. So.
1: Well, Hey, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked. Um, and what I what I'd like to talk to you about tonight is internet scouting. You know, you've hunted all over the U.S. You've had a lot of success out of state. You may have noticed. I never asked you where you killed your deer. <laughs> I yep. don't, you yep. know, I don't. I don't care where you killed your deer. I killed a nice mm-hmm. buck two days ago, three days ago, and hope you won't ask me where I killed it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you know,
1: but but um, but the thing is, is that. I think this internet scouting that has such a negative connotation to it these days. People are so, they, they, it's so, such a negative. It's almost like uh it's almost like the term millennials. Like nobody's ever said the word millennials in minute in a good way, you know? <laughs> um, right. And, but, but the thing is is that I think if we could maybe teach some people some things to look for on how to prepare. And when I say prepare, I mean like, on the front end of ever going somewhere like pre-scouting in a, in a sense to have some hot spots that they want to go check out in person when they get there. Maybe, maybe learn a little bit about your tips and tricks and some things that I've learned. I've learned a lot about it this year, hunting some new properties. You know, let's start out. Tell me, tell me a little bit about where some of the places you've hunted, uh, have been around the U S.
0: Okay. Um, of uh we started off uh i guess probably around 2007 and uh we started off in kentucky at that time uh and at that time i'm not sure if uh there was a whole lot of google earth out yet but i wasn't using it for sure yeah <laughs> you know and um so we started out in kentucky kind of on the on the river and stuff near near uh some bottoms and stuff and um and it kind of, uh, we actually ended up harvesting a few deer, nothing big, you know, I think probably the biggest thing was a basket rack eight, maybe, you know, and I think we had a couple of does, maybe a spike in there too, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, but, uh, the next year we, uh, you know, we talked to a couple guys and, you know, they said, you know, that they hunt Illinois, you know? So I said, well, Hey, uh, you know, we kind of started this going on these Midwest trips to to kind of see just different lands and stuff you know and uh you know and at the same time you know uh harvest decent buck you know next year we we picked a spot on the map in illinois and uh and we went there sometimes we hunt the national forest sometimes we hunt uh you know what they call you know wma's over there and stuff you know yeah gotta hit a few different ones but with that said you know uh first couple of years we probably, uh, you know, I wouldn't say struggled, but we we w- we weren't harvesting uh, stuff that you see on TV, I guess, you know, on the uh, you know on the internet and stuff. These big, you know, one fifty, you know, one eighty class deer. You know, we were we were steadily, you know, hitting some, you know, does, four points and and eight points, and and we were kind of we were enjoying ourselves and stuff, you know. But it probably wasn't until about the probably about the fourth year in, probably around two thousand and eleven, where we really started. uh you know kind of getting deep into it you know planning a lot more and stuff and, it, and i guess it all came you know it all took time to you know start figuring out exactly what you want on your trips you know everybody goes for a different reason whether it's a good time or to harvest that 200 inch buck or yeah what not you know and uh you know after we had some successful trips well, i guess we started looking more into it kind of where you know where more booners are getting killed you know um but beforehand you know after after that right you know like i said around year four or five you know we started doing a good bit of what they call internet scout and what i say by internet scout you know everybody has a different you know um outlook on that my internet scouting, what i would call it is getting on google earth or bing maps or whatever else you know they got tons of stuff out there now that you can get in zoom in on places and basically have all your, not say all your scouting done. Cause I mean, there's nothing that replaces feet on the ground. Yeah. Um, but I have a good sense of whenever I get there, exactly where I want to go check out, you know, and, uh, and, you know, cut my, instead of just running around and, uh, you know, and, with no rhyme or reason, basically, um, uh, You know, I have a purpose on where I'm, why I'm going right here, and what I think I see on the map. You know, compared to whenever I get my boots on the ground and what it actually is. You know, sometimes it's something totally different. What, what I think it's gonna be. You know, I think sometimes maybe I'm looking at a CRP patch and then. I show up over there in some and some tall pines and I'm like, oh well that's not you know <laughs> not exactly what you're what looking thought, for. We, you know? we, so, we, and at, at that point I would just, you know, okay, well I X out that spot and let's go to uh you know somewhere else. And nothing against pine trees, but uh, you know, I'm just not a pine you, tree. <laughs> you're not going
1: to Illinois to hunt pine woods, piney woods.
0: Uh, you exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, um, but kind of like I was saying you know we, we do a lot of you know i'll I'll mark up to you know 20 30 spots you know that I that I need to look at you know just to even start out no when know? you
1: when you say you're marking them where are you marking them on your computer on your phone
0: um i um, yeah I'm basically getting the GPS points I'm marking them on my computer then transfer to, uh, the data to my uh to my GPS
1: gotcha gotcha okay you're handheld
0: yeah. And yeah, my handheld GPS, and also you know I'll I'll mark them on the map. Uh, sometimes I'll just uh, just to make it easy, you know, for for beginners or something. If you if you're not familiar with GPS points and all that, you know, I'll mark them on the map, drop a dot, take a picture of it, and then pull up you know Google Google Maps on my phone, and you know you can pretty much get
1: get pretty close. You
0: know, yeah, yeah, you know, within a hundred yards probably, you know, something like that. You know, and and that would be a way for the beginners to kind of just use technology that you really don't even have to be savvy with, you know. Yeah. mm -hmm. As long as you have some, some kind of decent service, you know, in most places these days, you know, do so.
1: Yeah. So, so when you're, when you're in Louisiana preparing for an out of state trip, um, are you focusing on uh, betting areas, food sources, pinch points, uh, water sources um, uh, you know all of the above? what what's your what's on your mind when you're uh, gearing up to head out of state for into a new area?
0: Well, um, it basically all depends. Um, right now we've been doing two trips a year. We've been going to Kentucky early season the last couple of years and uh we've been going to illinois um for rut and um you know so uh, basically uh, and we totally prepared uh, you know different for both of those now when Um, you
1: when you say early season kentucky they open in september
0: right september 1st okay
1: so that's what you when you say you're talking like when we're hunting teal and dove you're deer hunting in kentucky
0: that's right, gotcha. you know, we're, and we're in non, like if it's anything like it was this year of ninety six degrees. <laughs>
1: so,
0: yeah, um, you know, sometimes it's I can't say it's exactly you all pumped up for that opening day and stuff, but it's not exactly fun to go make that afternoon hunt when mm-hmm. you're walking out there at one o'clock and and uh, you know I I, I have a savanna suit when they call that Scentlock, you know Savannah suit and mainly I use it to um, you know I. The ticks are just terrible up there. Yeah, <laughs> it's something we have ticks down here, but they're nothing like, you know, if if you haven't been to the Midwest in September or scouting earlier, you know, in August or something like that, ticks are absolutely, uh, you know, terrible. I've actually come out sometimes and had hundreds of oh. them on my uh you know my pants leg you know that actually happened this year we we actually um you know we bought a lot of um i can't think of the name of the stuff uh but we spray down you know everything we have we spray down we, we you know you just got to take a chance with the scent and stuff but we're not gonna we're, we're gonna try not to get uh you know eaten by ticks uh, yeah stuff.
1: i'd rather get blown at by a deer than be covered exactly. up in ticks God yeah bless.
0: so uh, and actually the one time we went scout and i forgot to Spray down that pair of pants and man, I, I, when I got back in the truck, I was like, Oh my God.
1: (laughs) I know what you're talking about. I've never used it. Does it start with a P?
0: Yeah. Permethrin. Permethrin.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and it works, it works excellent. We haven't actually had any problems with ticks, Um, until one of us haven't sprayed down like I said, we went one day this year to, uh, scout a afternoon hunt and I forgot to spray down that pair of pants. And my God, they were, you know, they were everywhere all over me. Yeah. Well,
1: um, so, so, uh, when you're going up there, you say you're marking 20, 30 spots. So what, like, uh, let's say, let's talk, let's talk about, you know, those two scenarios, early season in Kentucky. And then let's talk about what you, you know, what are you marking as far as spots to go try out in Illinois during the rut? Let's talk about the difference between that.
0: So in let's say, uh, you know, we go in Kentucky and uh, September 1st, it's going to be, we know it's going to probably be in the nineties most of the time, unless we happen to get lucky and hit some kind of cool front. Um, before that, w- you know, we're going to be looking at, um uh, Food sources mainly. Um, we'll also be looking at uh, watering holes too. To um, you know, some of these places there's not a good access for water. So, if you find your place, you know, wherever you choose on the map that you're going to go hunt in September um look at your water sources see you know what they have do they have uh big bayous by you know or rivers or yeah. you know whatever it is or do they just have a lot of these places on the wmas up there um they make ponds throughout the throughout the uh, wma and stuff you know and de- certain ones that we've gone to so um so we look at that first um we'll look at the fields we try to figure out Um, if, you know, they have beans planted, if they have corn planted, um, you know, and, and if it's been harvested or not, you know, so, and, I, you know, probably one of the biggest tips that I could give for someone that's planning their, you know, out of state trip early is to go when the crops are cut. Yeah. Um, you're going to probably have better success going probably after the second week of September. Um, I know a lot of, most of the time we have gone September 1st and a few fields have been cut, but 75% of the time the crops are still standing and it just, it broadens the, where a deer could be, mm-hmm. you know, um, from getting, you know, if, if we have all these cornfields, let's say, you know, 75% of these fields are cornfields. Well, you know, all these skinny woodlots and stuff like that. The deer might, you know, are probably not even in there. They they bed in the corn. They even, you know, they'll bed in the beans if they're tall enough. You know, you get some of those lush tall beans and stuff. I've I've seen them bed in there. You know, you just see some small racks sticking out the beans sometimes <laughs> if you walk around actually, and uh, you know, it's crazy. Um, but um, but yeah. So you know, if you get, if you can get down there, probably the second between the second third week of September, a lot of those cornfields have been harvested and it pushes all those deer they're not going to go bed in the middle of the field of course you know mm-hmm. a clean field you know so it pushes all those deer i mean it just multiply multiplies your chances basically you know and uh you know i i, I use a lot of my hunting by by chance you know too you know i just kind of i try to put myself in the right spot at the right time by just using com- common sense you know yeah and um you know so I I just know there's going to be a lot more deer in the woods, uh, you know, without them being the corn, you know? So, so we'll try to check on them fields first. Um, of course, we're going to mark all the corner points of fields, you know, they're going to, you know, those deer will travel a wood line. Um, we'll look for the, uh, we talked about water sources already, but you know, if we find, we find a spot where, um, you know, it's more of like a, a bayou or river and stuff, you know, and if we can find a field next to it, basically that makes a pinch point funnel, something yeah. like that, where they, you know, it connects different blocks of woods. I mean, that that's, that's what I call money. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, I mean, they, they're gonna probably pass through that, you know, at some point, you know, and, uh, depending on what kind of feed you have, where, you know, would they want at that time. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people access, uh, you know, do you rather the beans do you rather the corn you know what do you think they eat more of you know and we really haven't seen um you know probably one over the other at that time you know we've seen them in both and stuff you know my opinion on uh opinion is on it um the beans are so green at that time and stuff. If if you're up there at that time when they're still green and stuff, they're probably more, a little bit more likely to be in there just because of digestive purposes. Mm -hmm. And, um, at that time it's so hot and stuff. And, uh, I think it just holds maybe a little bit more moisture in, in, uh, that green food and stuff, you know, from, from what I've read and stuff like that. Um, just now the corn is just, it's, it's so hard to just kill them around corn though. You know, it's, uh, you know with that standing corn, you can get shots off in the beans. You know, if you set up on a wood line, you know, if you want yeah. to hunt the hills. but um, you know, more times than not, we're, we're not even when we go to set up for uh the early season hunts, we rarely set up on the fields itself. Um, it's so hard to uh to place where they're going to come out at when you're looking at a 200 acre field, basically, you know, yeah. So you know we're setting up more on uh, on the transition areas that lead them to the fields, the corner points, the the funnels, the uh, the saddles, um, stuff like that. So
1: so uh, as as you're looking on these maps and you're you're marking these places out, um, are you uh, are you looking for any any change in geography uh, as well? Any any sort of elevation changes or any sort of um, difference in uh and bear me bear with me here but like tree size or age does that have any uh, effect on where you're going to hunt and where you're not going to hunt
0: um as far as for tree size i probably don't look at that as much um if you're in some hilly terrain uh which most of it is where we're uh where we have been at in the past mm-hmm. um there's always on the ridge tops you We've had a lot more success not hunting, you know, of course, the top, top of a ridge. Now, you drop down about a quarter of that ridge, a lot of times they have what we call a little shelf. Mm -hmm. And, and, I mean, I would probably say over 50% of our deer have been killed on these shelves. They, I think it's a safe haven for the deer. I think it has a lot to do with they can smell you, you know, different things like that they'll wrap around those ridges using those shells and uh and then at at a certain point drop down the you know the, the mountain or whatever you're on the, the large hill you yeah know, and into the uh fields or into the food source whatever you're hunting at that time you know but they'll they'll travel those shells a long time i find
1: so do you think they're bedding on the side of that trying to get a good vantage point for danger coming or are they just using it as a travel area
0: yeah definitely no i i I think it's probably more of a bedding point you know other than you know of course deer are always going to be aware of stick i mean that's a given you know crp uh cornfields stuff like that you know yeah they'll bed in there because you just because of stick i think these have a lot to do with uh you know um yeah with scent and stuff like that bed you know in the open areas on these shelves
1: so as you're looking on a map like imagine you're in your office or at your house and you're preparing what are some key landscape features that you're looking for that that other people can kind of keep an eye out for maybe apply down here in louisiana uh for an idea of where to start
0: so even even things as as fields on the map, you know, a lot of times you you start looking at a map and you think it's a field and stuff. If you zoom in, you'll see the lines, you know, of the of the rows basically. And I'm just hitting, you know, very broad, you know, off the top. Some people, you know, might not even realize this, you know. But yeah, you know, just zoom in, and a lot of times you'll see, you know, last year's rows where the you know the tractor passed or you know the plow or you know, and you can see that. Um, and as goes for fields, um, you're going to look at different, you know, uh, the wood types as far as for CRP to large woods, it's hard to say exactly what, you know, what you're seeing on the map, but you need to mark down the edges of, you know, where you can tell it's some kind of different wooded area Mm -hmm. or thick area or, you know, something like that. You need to mark those edges. And that's something that you just need to check out whenever you, you know, put your feet on the ground over there, you know? We always try to do a day or two of scouting. you know a lot of times we'll go up two weeks prior and this you know not everyone can do this but we'll we'll leave on a Friday after work and get there in the morning hours of Saturday and scout the whole day for 12 hours till dark and then drive back Sunday morning we'll do that two weeks before. Sometimes we're throwing up cameras. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're just going to, you know, inspect everything that we have already marked on these maps. You know, we're trying to just figure out exactly, um, you know, especially at a new place, you know, are we looking at CRP? What I thought this was, you know, cause yeah, it's force for betting, I, in my opinion, you're not going to get any better betting than CRP, you know. I Um, I I think that that's just a deer's natural, you know. So if you can find CRP in the Midwest, you know, and you can find some kind of feed food, you know, food source that's that's nearby between, you know, that, you need to look between that CRP and that food source because at some point, they're going to pass through there, you yeah. know, they, they're going to get out of that CRP and go to that, you know, and, and like I said, you know, if, you know, if you can find that river or that bayou, something that's, yeah, yeah, they may cross it, you know, but they're more likely to follow it, you know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah you know, so it's just a lot of times a deer takes the easier route as long as they feel safe, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying cut it straight across fields, but, yeah i mean a deer probably doesn't want to cross the body they will if they need to but at the same time if they can get what they need just following the bayou and feel safe and stuff you know they they will do that you know so
1: well that, you know that brings up a good point I, i've been recently hunting a piece of property that butts up against a large body of water and um the struggle that i that i have with it is that uh the most prominent deer trail is about three feet along the perimeter edge of this of this body of water and mm-hmm. I mean and, and it is and they could easily cross it they could easily perpendicular that that same trail and and have it go into the woods but they tend to skirt along that edge and I think it's because you know somebody brought this up on a uh, the water access podcast we did a couple of months ago where deer very seldom, Relate water with danger. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not very often that they get uh, that they have a predator or something that's a threat to them come from the water. And so, if you're a deer and you're walking through the open woods, at 360 degrees around you could be, you know, technically, and maybe their paranoid brain, uh, there could be a threat anywhere. But if you're if you're bordering a body of water, then that cuts half of the area that you're walking through out right. as far as being dangerous. Right. Mm, um, right. and so, yeah, I mean, they'll cross a, they'll cross a, a river or bayou or anything like it's nothing, but I think you're right. I don't think they go into the woods saying, Hey, I'm going to cross these next three bayous and then I'll be in the <laughs> area that I want to be in. No, I, I, exactly. I think they just, they walk and and they're reactive to their environment. And if something tells them to go left, they go left. And mm-hmm. if something tells them to go right, they go right. But the the interesting thing about where I've been hunting this year is that it is uh, very hard for me to access this piece of property, so I access it by boat, and I'm able to cut out a, almost a two mile walk by going in by boat. And I think, I think, and I'm probably jinxing myself by saying this. I think I'm the only person that hunts this far down, and um, and goes in by boat like this. But the problem is, is I need a good north wind to hunt it. And they're there. And I, and most importantly, I need a good north wind to, to cover the sin of my boat, if you will, to blow it away from the land because um, I'm entering in from the south. But they're walking so close to the water's edge that in order to hunt them walking along the water, I almost need a south wind so I can hunt about 20 to 50 yards interior from the, the bank to hunt okay. them crossing the bank. So it's just catch 22, right? I need, you know, I need a North wind to uh, be stealthy on the approach, but I technically need a good South wind because otherwise, if I set up North of that trail and I have a North wind, I'm just blowing my scent back down on the trail when they pass, you <laughs> know? Yeah. So, um, let me tell you a little bit about what I've learned this year. Cause this year I've been hunting a lot of new properties. have been hunting a lot of NWRs and WMAs and, you know, this has been a strange year for me. You know, I moved. I haven't had an opportunity to hunt as much as I usually do, and I have been like a hunting fiend the last uh, three or four weeks. Ever since I moved, since Thanksgiving week, and prior to that, I just I didn't have much of an opportunity to hunt, and so I've been doing a lot of leg, leg work on kind of preparing for hunts before I ever go somewhere I tried scouting a little bit before I go places one of my rules is that I absolutely despise going into a brand new area in the dark the morning of a hunt um that's yeah. ju- that just never has worked out for me um it, <laughs> it, it, it just that ends up turning into a scouting day for me you know um no
0: then there, here yeah,
1: definitely it's and it's it's not a fun feeling you know that's it's not a fun feeling to, to be under such a time constraint that like i have to hunt this morning or i'm not going to get to hunt and and that's i know that's the reality for a lot of people but um, i would almost rather just hunt old spots that i feel confident in than try and find new places in the dark that that's just such a a, a crapshoot um but Anyway, uh, one of the things I've been working on is trying to find on a map where the pinch points are, where the funnels are, where the water uh, water um, sources are, like the, the ditches or the bayous or the streams, and then um, confirming, like you said, what the area is like in an in-person scout, maybe a day or two or a week before I plan on going hunting. And what, what's been interesting to me is that you take an entire piece of property. Let's say you've got 30,000 acres of woods and, um, you know, some of our WMAs are so diverse that the, the North side could almost be like, it's in a different state from the South side.
0: All right. You, you know, right. you
1: can have the South side. that's all full of fields and CRP and the North side can be nothing but swamp bottoms. But what I found is if you start to find what you can dismiss off of that map, it helps you hone in on, what is most important to you and your style of hunting and what I mean is not all woods are the same I know from an aerial map everything's green and everything's bushy but if you really sometimes if you if you just have an hour after work and you're able to walk into a section of woods where every the canopy that you see on the map all looks the same if you get in there at some point in time during the day or during the season and you realize Hey, this is nothing but willows and sycamores and hickory trees. There's not a single feed tree in here. Everything's the same size. It's almost like a copy and paste, copy and paste area. For the next you know, mile to two miles in every direction, all these woods are the same. That's like, some of the hardest woods to hunt. In fact, you know you know, I don't usually name places on, on the podcast or for Louisiana bow hunter, but Kassachi National Forest is a lot like that. You know, it's the same woods over and over and over again. It's just piney woods or, you know, hardwoods over and over. And it's hard. Like what's the difference between me hunting in this spot and a hundred yards over? Nothing.
0: Where do you, where do you go to attack a big block of woods?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, if, if you have the same, I don't know, let's say it's five square miles or two square miles of the same woods over and over again. Well, if there's nothing that's really drawing you to it, like Warren Womack says, I'm looking for a tree that makes me want to hunt it, not vice versa,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then cut that whole area out.
0: Right. Yeah. No, definitely.
1: Circle it, put an X on it and say, not here. This is okay. I got 30,000 acres. I just cut out 8,000 acres. I got another 22 to focus on. And, right. and and what I found is when you find the edge of where that copy and paste style woods butts up against something different on a map and and when i say something different it could be thinner woods it could be thicker woods it could be bigger trees it could be smaller trees but whatever it is that's a transition point right that that and and it could be good or bad but i'll tell you uh chad abeer came and hunted with me a couple of weeks back and um and Chad Abier is not a public land hunter. He, he gave that up a, a long time ago, like, like cigarettes. <laughs> and, um, but, but, I, you know, I, I love the, I love the, the newness, the excitement of a new area. I love the, the perceived endless opportunity. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so I was driving around on this, on this WMA and way, way across a piece of swamp. I saw a huge tree. I'm not making this up. Huge oak tree. I got my binoculars. I looked on a map. It was 1200 yards away. I'm looking across a swamp. And when I got on the map, I realized a ridge came down north to south. And it came out of those types of copy and paste woods where it was just garbage willows and hickories and sycamore trees and just nothing that has any value to a deer. And it transitioned into this line of a ridge. And much larger trees that I just knew from looking from a distance that they were either white oaks or, swan, or cow oaks or something. And uh, and so f- from where I was on the map, I got out my my Maps app on my phone. And, and I've talked about this in the past. I use two, two apps. I use Onyx Hunt seldomly. Um, I actually only use it because their map quality is excellent. And they tend to... Have wintertime maps, which is very helpful during hunting season.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was going to touch on too. You know, whenever you're looking at these maps, um, you know it's it's good not to use the same map because. I'll look at some maps and they're based on in January. Well, you know what I can find from January? What areas are flooded? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. That, and that's big, you know. So, and then I'll look at it on the other map and it's a map of August, you know. And I'm like, okay. And you can't, you can't see
1: anything. You can't it, see the canopy. You can't see It the, looks
0: like it's all dry. You, you know? can't so, see the
1: forest floor.
0: Yeah. So, you know, in, you know, in, uh, in Louisiana, you know, December, January, you know, that's uh, a big portion of the state is, uh, especially the river bottoms are, you know, are going to be rutting and stuff, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, I love to, to hunt some flat water, you know, too, but, you know, you get in too deep of water, you know, uh, I mean, a deer's gonna probably stay out of that, you know, they gotta be neck deep, you know, unless they can find yeah. a little hill to bay up on and stuff, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, the deer love flat water, we all know that and stuff, you know, but, if they have a chance to, you know, and, and they go in there to, to, I say, hide, you know, to, to get away from pressure or anything like that. But, um, you know, a deer is going to prefer to be on, on dry ground, yep. you know, obviously, you know, and, uh, and now will they follow the, the edges of these waters? Oh, definitely. You know, I've killed a lot many, many bucks from falling. They just, they're skirting the edges of these, you know, this flat water and, uh you know, and, I, you know, even even with that, I'd say I kill it in flat water, you know, because I know they they skirt the edge of it and stuff. But that's where those maps come into play at. You know, you need to look yeah. at these, you know, you need to study them, see what month this was in. And then, you know, put your boots on the ground in a different month that, you know, uh, you know, that you didn't have or something like that. And then you got a feel of what's going on in the area and uh, and what you can do. You know, so.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, so so I'm, I'm using, like I said, two apps, I'm using Onyx maps. Uh, a lot of times I'm only using that just as a confirmation of, you know, should I look into this area further or not? Um, I've said on other podcasts, I started using another app called, um, hunt stand years ago and they haven't updated it a whole lot. And I'm not going to sit here and say it's the greatest app there ever was, but, Um, they started offering something that, I mean, you might be familiar with this. They started offering something really unique, which is where you could set a, um, an icon on a map of either where you want to hunt or where you're going to hunt or where you have a stand. And, um, it'll download the weather forecast for the next 72 hours for that area. And you can pre-plan whether or not that's a good place to hunt based on the wind um, and so I actually, I save all my, all my, um, waypoints and, and icons and everything in hunt stand. Well, so I'm, I'm 1200 yards away from this tree across a swamp and I mark it on my map and I go there a day or two later and, and I got to paddle halfway there and get out and walk the other halfway. And, and when I get to this ridgeline, which was a mature established Oak Ridge, I started, I started realizing that. Number one, these trees are falling. Number two, this is a great funnel and pinch point surrounded by water on like a peninsula uh, north to south. And, you know, this is also a flood area as well to where when it gets real, real high water, this is going to be a a refuge area plus a food source when it's not flooding. And so I mark that. And so that's been a, a pretty productive area for me this year. I've killed a couple of pigs off that stand and after I killed my, after I killed that, my fifth pig off of that ridge, I, I said, you, well, you know, I think I'm going to go in search of some deer, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, with how bad our hog pro our hog problem has gotten in the Southeast yeah. years, you know, it's
0: hard to get away from them. It, it is. Seen- and they, yeah.
1: you know, they push, they really do push the deer out and it's hard it's really hard to break yourself away from a spot that looks really good. Right. And at some point in time, you got to say, Hey, you know, how many times do you have to prove to yourself? This is more of a hog area than a deer area or right. nothing area. Nothing's yeah, coming yeah. here.
0: You know, I mean, This is something that we haven't, you know, uh, when I was growing up, deer hunting in the you know in the late 90s and stuff like that this is something that we didn't have to deal with then you know if you see a muddy trail i mean it's deer you know yeah. that's what it was you know and you know now you have to stop start trying to pick out the track around the tracks from you know from the pointed tracks of course you know for the deer and uh trying to see you know which which one is using this trail more you know likely you know more times than not it's both of them. If you have it, mm-hmm. you know, if you have it in there from what I've seen, you know, but sometimes, yeah, it's just, it's straight hawk trail, you know, and, and that, you know, sometimes that, uh, that could be where your, you know, your game cameras can, uh, come to play in also, Yeah, uh, you know, put it up for a week, see what's passing, you know, and, uh, not saying the next day, uh, you know, a big buck won't pass, you know, but if you, if you're getting 20 hogs to one deer, well, you know, <laughs> I'll probably move on, you know, if I'm Absolutely. not in the, uh, you know, not looking to harvest the hog, you know,
1: I'm trying to think of some other, some other key features people can look out for. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, of coming in by water. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I've, uh, I could say I've never owned a four wheeler. I've actually owned a couple of four wheelers. Um, I've never owned a four-wheeler that ran... (laughs) okay I've always uh, I mean I love to fix stuff I love to buy and sell and flip things and boats and Mm -hmm. you know uh, things like that but I have bought a couple of four-wheelers to fix up and I always end up selling them for because it's just just isn't worth the input but or the the investment but um, and so but I've always had boats multiple boats I got I got a pro drive I've got a duck boat I got a a piro, I've got a, a bay boat I don't hunt out of the bay boat but Um, anyway, uh, you know, the, the pro drive, which like Greg Ravall has been hunting out of for decades now. And, um, and then the Piro, which is, you know, probably my favorite tool of all, um, Mm -hmm. that, that opens up such a, um, creative, uh, and original entrance method into the woods. Um, it's silent. Uh, a lot of times you don't have a lot of boaters, that are using that as their primary entrance method
0: i you know i think you know i always tell some of my friends this in louisiana where we're hunting louisiana if you go by water or boat i think you've already marked out 50 percent of your crowd yeah and uh, you know and and that's just off you know just saying off the top of my head you know i i, I would think 50 percent. you've already beat 50 percent of pressure i mm-hmm. guess you would um, you know, when we're hunting in the Midwest, I don't find it's, it's that much of a, uh, um, advantage compared to Louisiana in a, you know, in a boat or in a Piro. Yeah. Uh, many times, you know, I just, I think you can harvest a great deer in the Midwest hunting straight off, you know, a hundred yards off of the main road and stuff, you know, a lot of those deer parallel the roads. Whereas in Louisiana, I'm not going to say they don't. I mean, I'm sure plenty do, you know, but I think you're, I know my lines of hunting. I try to get away from pressure more than, you know, I will be looking for a deer trail off the road. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I'm basing my scouting in Louisiana off of, okay, you know, number one rule i'm trying to get away from the people first you know i think uh, it's just the culture down here i think you know we just have a lot more hunters per square you know uh per square mile and stuff you know uh when, when we're talking about woods and population and stuff and uh, as far as for public land hunting you know
1: absolutely but you know uh, you know this is something that we hadn't talked about much on on the podcast is you know let's take I, I'm, we're just going to say sherburn because i know how big sherburn is if i if i'm not mistaken and i could be very well mistaken for some reason the number 64,000 acres is sticking in my head and if i'm wrong on that i could be more than double double wrong on how big it is i'm not sure but let's say let's say 64,000 acres even on either sex weekend which by the way <laughs> if you've ever hunted sherburn on on either sex weekend it is It's like the equivalent of Black Friday shopping. It's is—it's insanity. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it is insanity. But of all the either sex weekends that I've ever hunted in Sherburne, I've never run into more than one person out in the woods. Mm -hmm. And and guess what? That person went so far back and came in by boat and parked damn near a hundred yards from me. When he walked by my stand, I wasn't even mad. You know, I was like, well, shit, you're back here, too. You know, (laughs) Uh, all I can do is give you props. Um, (laughs) Now, when he killed the deer and asked me to help him drag it out, then I was a little upset because he kind of cut me off. But that's another story. Um, But so if you've got 64,000 acres and let's say there's 500 trucks, 500 trucks, I've never seen 500 trucks on any WMA ever. Okay, but let's just say there, are like either second weekend, there are 500 trucks, which I think is a gross overestimate of how many there are. It probably would be closer to 200 to 250. That's still if you divide the whole property, that's still every single hunter has 128 acres to themselves at that at that size. And so Mm -hmm. if we take that same mentality and we apply it to, let's say, a deer lease, let's say your deer lease is a thousand acres and you have 12 members on it. Well that means every every member has roughly 80 acres right, right? and so you know what's better the 80 acres on a thousand acres or hundred twenty eight acres on sixty four thousand acres and that's just two weekends in a year that it's that crowded the the rest of the time especially on a lot of our bow only WMAs and NWRs like um, like Tensaw is most of the year or Tunica Hills or um, you know there's a you know a uh Delta and places like that you, you take the average amount of pressure on a weekend. Um, and let's say there's 25 trucks, 50 trucks, hundred trucks. I don't know. Let, let's, let's take, say a hundred. Um, that's still a significant piece of property that you have technically all to yourself, especially since we're all really only hunting hundred yards at a time. Okay. If you can, if you can shoot your bow, deadly at 50 yards and in a circle you're hunting a hundred yard section that's if you can see that far and so if my my thought is is that and and i really hate to sound like the cliche like you know hard-ass public land hunter here but if you're hunting in an area where you've got three people around you and you're all hunting the same little 10 15 acre tract that's your own fault
0: (laughs) (laughs) it it,
1: statistically statistically it is not reasonable to believe that all of you are hardcore hunters most likely you thought you went pretty far in the woods and you didn't you know, you thought you got away and you didn't. And I think, I mean, obviously that's what we always hear about public land is, you know, get away from people, get away from people. But what does that really mean? You know, does that mean you need to go farther? Does that mean I need to hunt tighter places? Does that, does that mean I need to, um, maybe it, maybe it means hunt closer to the parking area,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it does, I guess, you know, um, Yeah, and that that would probably just, you know, lead to having more experience on that wma or whatever you know but i know the first thing that i'm gonna do whenever i attack a wma that uh that's just, you know like you was just talking about and you know I, I hunted a couple times while i was uh, going through college in lafayette and the first thing i would do i would take up the map and i look at where all the four wheeler trails pass look at where the roads passed, and then next i would look where the waterways went you yeah. know. so you know, uh, just doing my scouting, I was going to probably try to get away from all the roads and all the trails that I could, that, that provided, you know, cause I think 75%, at least 75% were going to be using either a truck or an ATV. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say, you know, at least that. And, um, you know, so if I can get far enough away from any of those trails and just take my chances on somebody walking, you know, a mile or over, you know, where, as whenever I came in through water and I only had to walk uh, 300 yards to get to this spot, you know, well I'm gonna take my chances right there. If not, you know, uh, that's the way I, you know, I just got away from somebody. And I think the, you know, the best time to do this, as far as for, um, you know, getting away from this pressure and stuff, would be like on a Thanksgiving weekend. Would be on a opening of a primitive weapon, yeah. something that use those crowds to your advantage at that point you know um the way I would look at things you know um now hunting the rest of the season I mean if anyone has I mean a lot of these WMAs it looks like a ghost town whenever you're you know in just regular bow season it really thought, does you know,
1: it really um, does and um, nobody I brings
0: that up a lot of these NWRs that are just you know that are strictly bow or a lot more populated than uh you know you have the tensals the lake ophelius you know you you named a bunch of them you know they are a lot more populated than uh, a lot of these wmas during uh during the season and stuff you know so i would take that to advantage you know whenever you're looking to get into bow hunting more or you know if you're just starting out and stuff you know hunt those wmas why was it good just to go hunting on thanksgiving weekend just because it was rifle or something exactly yeah use it to your advantage i mean you have the whole pretty much the whole WMA to yourself, probably most of the, you know, three quarters of the season. There's been,
1: there's been a lot of times I've hunted a few WMAs where I pull up in the morning and and, and sometimes I'll pull up in the morning. There'll be nobody there. When I leave, there'll be nobody there. I come back for an afternoon hunt. There'll be nobody there. I'll literally say to myself like, Oh God, is this open? (laughs) Like, am I supposed to be here? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, you're right. And that's something that, that's something that, um, you know, we don't talk about very often is the perceived overcrowding of WMAs. You know, mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of research on license sales and WMA permit sales and duck hunting and fishing and all that, all that license sales last year. I've got an article that I'm writing on that and I actually want to do a podcast. I, I'm, I'm trying to get John Bell Edwards on the podcast so we can talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But hunting numbers are in massive decline right now. And and I'm not going to go too in-depth on it, but long story short, last year, and I bet this year is even, I'll say better, but what I really mean is worse, last year was the lowest number of WMA permits sold in the last 17 years. Wow. Okay. Last year, WMA usage was down like 34%. Okay. And so the next time somebody says that, oh, Clear Creek WMA's you know overloaded with people, or Thistleweight's got too many people, or Sherburne's got too many people, or whatever, that is, it's just it's untrue. I, I, I mean, statistically, it's incorrect. It might be more people than you've ever seen, and that's and get, let me tell you, you're a small sample size here, but statistically last year was the least crowded WMAs have ever been as far as permit sales goes and usage goes in a lot of our hunting careers or lifetimes. Mm. And I mean, it's down massively and I bet it's down even further this year because that's how it's trending the last three or four years. But uh, because I did a 10-year comparison between all this data and license sales and all this stuff, and it's it's not good. It's really bad. And so when you have people that are saying, oh, there's so many people hunting the woods, there's so many people on the WMAs, I, I agree with that to an extent. There might be some times where it's hard to find a parking spot in the parking area or it's hard to launch your boat or whatever. But we also live in a time where, like, let's compare it to school shootings, okay? School shootings aren't actually that out of control from what they've historically been what's changed is the rate in which we receive information and how fast it travels
0: right because everyone knows about everything immediately
1: it is immediate and you know some of the world some of the world's worst gun crime uh, tragedies occurred before the internet or television ever existed and the only way you heard about it was by the newspaper or telegram. Okay. That's how long ago it was. And so we live in a time where we are so informed so quickly now. And we have this belief that because we see information faster and it's in front of us more often, that things must be getting worse. But the reality is when you look at the data, Uh WMA usage was lower last year than it's been in in over 15 years. And
0: And, and I think it's funny that you actually touching on this because, you know, And I could be wrong, but I feel like that's probably part of why, you know, bow hunting has, um, you know, or the numbers, let's just say the numbers of, you know, hunting on these WMAs and getting these permits is uh, going down due to it's it's not instant gratification. You know, Um, you have all this that at the tip of your fingers now that is now, 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 now in these days, you know, whereas bow hunting. Nothing is gonna happen right now. <laughs> you yeah. know. It, it's gonna take patience over a whole season. And then you've been hunting since September, October, bow hunting, made these countless hunts, hot, you know, sometimes very cold, you know, and you've had finally a good buck. Oh, well, now he came out at sixty, seventy yards. You don't have a shot, you know. Mm-hmm. You go through whole seasons, sometimes seasons and not have a shot, you know? And um, you know, so uh you know i I can't help but feel like some of this, you know, just because of the culture um, that we're in these days where everything is now, you know, that it's kind of a dying breed, I guess, maybe, you know, of, uh, you know, people having the patience to, to, to stick it out, you know?
1: Yeah, you're right. And that's, that's, that's actually a whole episode that I'd like to, I I almost want to have like four or five people on it and have a panel conversation about you know, the effects of, of social media, the effects on the, um, you know, the marketing strategies of, of hunting companies these days and, and ultimately the learned behavior and most importantly, the, um, unrealistic expectations that people have in their minds about what deer hunting is these days.
0: Right. Everyone, you know, kind of like we talk about me and some of my buddies that, uh, you know, we're kind of hardcore bow hunters and, you know, everyone wants to harvest the crops but no one wants
1: to plow. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. (laughs) Well, um, you know, there's one more point I'd like to bring up and, and maybe ask you if you do this, but, um, when I'm scouting for places, you know, on a, let's say a WMA and I'm looking at aerial maps, um, I'm trying to, to figure out with, a, with my best guess what direction I think these deer are coming from, right? And I think mm-hmm. them following waterways and, and boundaries and um, tree lines and, and CRP fields and things like that, that's, you know, deer are somewhat predictable in that aspect. Um, you know, a lot of times they are going to follow that field edge. They are going to follow that tree line. They are going to follow that, that, um, bank, that, that river bank or whatever. And so when I'm scouting areas, one of the things that I'm preparing for is I want to have, um, multiple locations set that I go, that I'm planning on going and confirming that they're worth hunting where they're good for different winds. Okay. So like, let's say you go, let's say you go out of state for a week and you've got a North wind three days, a West wind for two days, and then a South wind for the last day. What are you going to mm. do? You know, you can't hunt the same spot most likely. Um, yeah. so are you preparing for those different types of, of, uh, weather situations?
0: Oh yes, definitely. Um, you know, we'll, you know, we'll mark different, you know, of course we, you know, we kind of went over to funnels and the field edge and everything, but, um, you know and and the word i was looking for earlier when we were talking about these shells and stuff you know in the midwest was thermals yeah i think a lot of the you know the deer use those shells for you know for thermals you know and we'll we'll you know we'll get a lot of milkweed and use in our sand trying to figure out you know exactly what's going on when we get at these high altitudes but as far as for you know in louisiana and stuff you know um You know, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're marking multiple stands, you know, we're trying to, uh, you know, we're going to be looking for, you know, some areas that may have been select cut, clear cut years ago. And I think probably most of the time that's going to be probably going to be used as our bedding areas. That's because it has grown up thicker and everything, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, or if you have that CRP, you know, and everything. Um, but I, I think you know most of the deer I think we will probably all tend to agree are gonna be feeding at night in Louisiana. It seems like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it, it just seems to, i mean just good taking my my trail camera photos, I mean ninety percent are night, ten percent are day, you know, yeah. so. Uh, you know, I'm basing all my hardwoods as they're in there at night, you know, whereas if I'm next to a, uh, a select cut that was cut about 10 years ago is very thick,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. you know, I will put that to my back and, you know, have the wind blowing into it on a morning hunt. You know, if that makes any sense, because yeah. I'm going to keep the hardwoods in front of me because I feel like in the morning they're going to be coming out of the hardwoods, going bed into the select cut or whatever, you know, to, yeah. to bed for the day, you know. And, um you know, it, it all has to do, you know, with weather changes you know, and I, and I would think probably the opposite on an evening hunt, you know. A lot of, uh you know, the areas that I hunt, I, I found this to be true, you know. Uh, yeah and that's just a you know a certain kind of uh, you know landscape right there but uh
1: well I'll, t- I'll tell you something it's somewhat related to what you just said it reminded me of of something I just recently experienced um on Wednesday I took off a day uh, of work on Wednesday and uh no not Wednesday On Thursday, I took off work. I would planned on hunting that morning. And I hunted hunted on Wednesday. That was December 26th. This is now December 27th was Thursday. I checked the rain forecast Wednesday evening before I went to bed. And it's not very often that I get the, and I do consider it a luxury. It's not very often I get the luxury of, Leaving my stand up the night before because I have the same wind the next morning, and then just crawling up in my stand the next morning without having to do any work. But that's probably one of my favorite things is just having something preset, you know, already hung, undisturbed, didn't spook anything, setting up, didn't spook anything on the way in. But when I was going to bed, I checked my my weather app, and it was said it was supposed to rain at eight o'clock in the morning, and and I was like, well. You know, to hunt for two hours and then pull down my sand in a rainstorm. It's, you know, it is what it is. So, I woke up at 4.30 the next morning. I checked my weather app. And, man, I was tired. I almost didn't go. I mean, it was... I mean, my wife was kicking me. She's like, you're going to get out of bed? You're going to go? And I was like, I don't know. Well, I checked the weather again. And the rain got pushed back till 11.30. And so, I was like, oh, it's it's on. And this is a full morning hunt now before a major storm. Everybody, I mean, we had that big storm run through last week. I had a nice eight point on camera i've only had him on camera twice that week and it was at like twelve thirty one in the morning and like 302 in the morning mm-hmm. and never had a day picture of him at all climb up in my stand and at about 6 45 7 a.m i heard him grunt and he came down this little funnel funnel that i was hunting and i ended up shooting him at like six or seven yards and i thought to myself number one i'm you know pumped <laughs>
0: yeah, right? right i
1: mean what's better than that you know that's
0: than, yours. yeah that's awesome oh yeah, yeah. and Something i mean nice.
1: it was almost a straight down shot in fact like where where right. I, I shot him on his left side he, he actually passed my stand i was almost shooting behind the tree um wow. and i put him put in his left side and um it was the first time since i switched <laughs> to fixed blades a couple years ago that i haven't had like a straight straight pass through um, which I thought was crazy, especially having a shot that close, shooting as fast as my bow shoots. I was like, why didn't I get a pass through? And I mean really? it I got eighty percent penetration on this arrow. Um yeah. you know, I only had six inches, five inches sticking out of his side, but I didn't understand, you know, why, you know, why it stopped. But man, that arrow, it was like a hit a brick wall. And mm-hmm. I've never heard a deer make vocalization the way that he did. It sounded like a dog getting hit by a car. It was like this grunt. It wasn't like a yelp, like a, Arr! it wasn't like that, but it was, it was like a snarl. Um, Ooh. it was, it was wild. Like it, it kind of sounded like a, like a grizzly bear a little bit. And he took off he only ran 50 yards and then died Anyway, that deer was out on his feet ahead of the storm. I guess the pressure was so high that he was just up and moving. And it was the only time I've ever seen him in the daytime. And uh, my point in telling this story is if you're depending on your trail cameras to tell you when you should be hunting a deer, the first time you get a picture of him during the daylight technically was the first chance you had to kill him.
0: That's right. Okay.
1: And it's one thing to use your cameras, cameras to confirm that there's deer in the area. Like you said, is this a hog trail? Is this a deer trail? Is it both? You know, is this worth, is this area worth me investing my time in or not? You know, that's the way I like to use my cameras. What I don't like to do, unless I had cell cameras, I don't like to, um, to rely on my cameras to tell me, okay, he's been in the daylight three times. I'm going to hunt him tomorrow you know, yeah. um, cause that's the first, that's, that's chance one, two, and three, you had to kill him and, and you didn't.
0: Um, right. but and uh, I, a lot of people overlook this, uh, you know, this topic that you're talking about, you know, uh, you still need to use your gut, you know, and, and go hunt in front of those fronts, go hunt after that rain, you know, go yeah. hunt, you know, on those, uh, You know, those high, you know, those high percentage days, you know, when you get that temp drop of 20 degrees and stuff, you know, you need to be in your stand on those days. You know, you have confirmation that they're, they're around, you know, at that point, you need to go get on it now. You know, who's to say that he's passing right behind the camera and stuff. And, uh, you know, so,
1: well, so when I, when I got that deer out of there and I hung him up to clean him, um, you know, after he ran off, my arrow pulled out. I had had 80% of my arrow broken on the ground, and mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, I'm shooting, I'm shooting a fixed blade. There's no way that things you – know, there's no way the broadhead's still on there if, if the arrow fell out, you know, um, because it's just not going to back out like that. And um, when I got him up on the rack, on the skinner rack, I realized that <clears> – <throat> When I shot him at the at the uh, slightly quartering away angle that I did, it had gone in his uh, probably the, the upper half of his left uh, rib cage, like right in the right in the, the long area behind the shoulder. And it right. had come out his front right armpit. And, and it came out of his armpit and that arrow had lodged perfectly in his, uh, his front leg joint, like his, uh, his elbow, if you will. And it had shattered it, but it didn't, you know, blow through it. I, I, you know, I shoot, I shoot real light arrows. I shoot, you know, 383 grain arrows shooting three twenty four. And, you know, I like, I like speed. I'm a speed guy. A lot of people disagree with that, but I gotta tell you,
0: Uh, I'm totally the opposite, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good topic too, you
1: know? And, yeah. and so, you know, this is the first time and, and I mean this, this might've been the 10th deer I've shot since shooting these broadheads and this, the absolute first ever non full pass through, but I can't say it wasn't a full pass through cause I had an entrance in an exit. The exit mm-hmm. was just in his armpit and then it, and then it reentered in his leg, you know? And so if I'm going to have my arrow get stopped by a bone, I'd like mm-hmm. it to be after I've already put two holes in a deer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. you know, um, but, uh, anyway, you know, that was, that was a, an exciting one for me. That was a, a fun mm-hmm. deer to, to shoot and, um, you know, a nice surprise, <laughs> but you're right. Getting ahead of those fronts and picking your days, uh, and, and making sure you're in position to take advantage of that stuff. Um, right. that's so much so much better than regretting like, oh, he was on camera on Saturday, but I slept in, you know. Sure. Do you know how mad I would be if I didn't sure. actually get up and I checked my camera the next day and he was there? Oh, my God. <laughs> I would I would be kicking myself so hard, yeah. you know.
0: Like, like in French, yeah, I would have the malaka. I'd be nauseated.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go yeah man well um look i i know you're on a time crunch here jade and uh you know i appreciate you being on the podcast with us today is there is there anything else that you you need to add or you, you can think of that you want to throw in there
0: no i just uh you know um you know a few things as far as for hunting the rut and stuff you know because we have you know a large area of the state that's that's uh you know starting time, to move up yeah. now basically you know um you know a good tip uh, i've killed you know myself and many of uh close friends have killed a lot of good bucks after 11 o'clock you know in that 11 to 1 range you know yeah, yeah, and yeah. a lot of say you know it's hard to stay on stand that long you know kind of whatever your demeanor is you know about it but a lot of days you know during this rut you know i'll skip afternoon hunts with just a plan to you know hunt from day you know daybreak to one o'clock you know yeah and you'd you'd be people would be amazed to see what kind of deer activity during rut happens from you know 11 to 1 absolutely it's it's a big uh it's a big thing i think that gets you know missed too you know it's hard to stay on stand that long but pack you a sandwich and then hey you didn't have to make the afternoon hunt after that you know and stuff like that if you didn't want to make an all-day sit you know many of us do all-day sits you know mm-hmm. but um you know it's a good alternative as far as for you know um uh, many of us have families and stuff you know you got to you, everything's got to be good at home too, you know? So, yeah. uh, you yeah, gotta yeah. Compromise, and it's a, it's a very, it's a very good compromise. I think during this rut period where you could, uh, you know, be at home in the afternoon and join the family and you've covered a good bit of the, uh, you know, action in that day. So. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a great point. And, and that I think that's even more critical in a moon cycle that we just went through. We're on the tail end of it right now where I mean Christmas time, <laughs> we had a full moon the whole week and, and almost leading up to Christmas, um, right. to where it was like having a spotlight in the sky for the last, for the last week and a half. Um, and it's starting to, it's starting to dwindle down now, but you know, especially when they're up on like feeding, there's a lot of people that won't even go into the woods until nine o'clock. You know, right. they sleep in, they, they go in at nine, nine thirty, and they climb up in their stand and they'll hunt the rest of the day. Um, and, you know, I had a good friend of mine that, uh, was on a piece of, a piece of, uh, uh, NWR property that climbed up on stand at two fifteen and at two forty, he had a really nice eight point come out that he shot, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, and ask yourself how, how often are you in your deer stand at two 15 in the afternoon? Right.
0: Right. You Definitely. know, um, usually on the way to it, maybe sometimes for an afternoon hunt, but yeah, you know. Yeah. True.
1: But, but, you know, I, I'm glad you threw that in about the rut. It It is that period, you know, it is Christmas part two is what the rut is for us, for us deer hunters. And, um, it's kind of the best, best time of the year. So, uh, you can't whimsically hunt and, and you could say, um, you know, half-ass hunt the rut and expect to be fully successful, um, without having a lot of luck at your back. So, you know, put your time in, do the all day thing. You can do what Warren Womack does, which is, you know, hunt till one o'clock, climb down, move a couple hundred yards, climb back up. You know, mm-hmm. um, that helps break up the monotony of sitting in a, a small deer stand all day. But right. Um, right. Well, look, Jade, I appreciate you being on the show today, man. I appreciate you doing this under such short notice, but
0: um, yeah, you know, anytime, anytime.
1: Congrats on your deer uh, this morning. I'm happy for you. And, yeah. uh, you know, we'll catch up soon. All right.
0: Yeah. Congrats to you too, bud. I've seen that, uh, I've seen that video. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I appreciate that. I was, I was, yeah. If, if anybody listening is wondering, I, I posted a video on Louisiana bowhunter community of, you know, a couple of seconds after I shot that deer and it was, you know, I was all pumped up. I could barely talk. <laughs> that's
0: so, yeah, that's, that's why we do this. Yeah. It's that's fun, man. Right there, so. It's
1: fun. <laughs> well, look, have a good night, man. Thanks again. All
0: right. Thank you. All
1: right. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout-out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you, so thank you so much for your support. We'll see you all next week.